Welcome to the Eurointelligence Podcast. I am Wolfgang Munschau. We are finally back after a long summer break. This is our special German election edition. We will revert to our previous weekly rhythm starting this Friday. With me today is my new colleague, Jack Smith. Welcome on board, Jack. Thank you very much, Wolfgang. Uh, it's lovely to be here and to be talking to everybody. Let's start with the German elections. You wrote this morning, uh, Advantage Laschet. How did you get to this conclusion? Yeah, I, I was wondering whether I should, should be writing this because it's, it's, we don't normally make predictions at your intelligence. And uh, this is not really meant to be a prediction. What I was referring to is that the elections made only three coalition options of the six or even eight that some people talked about possible. The three options are a coalition between Olaf Scholz's SPD, the Greens, and the FDP, the Liberal Party. That's called the traffic light coalition because it's red, yellow, and green. Uh, the other coalition is a coalition between the CDU-CSU, whose leader is Armin Laschet, the FDP and the Greens. So the FDP and the Greens would be in both coalitions. Now, the latter coalition is called Jamaica because it's black, yellow, and green, and they thought this up. So it's Jamaica. Laschet lost the election in terms of he came second. It was a terrible result for the CDU, the worst ever. Now, last time it was also a terrible result, so it's not exactly new. But as so often in politics, people don't care so much about, you know, absolute shifts. I mean, the German public isn't what it was in the 1970s or 1950s. So nobody these days gets 40% anymore, except in sort of systems with first past the post, like the UK or the US, where one candidate, the, the winning candidate, usually gets over 40%. That's not the case anymore in the coalition of continental Europe. So 24% is not great, but Laschet could be in a position to form a majority with the FDP and the Greens in exactly the same way as Olaf Scholz would be in a position to form a majority with, with the Greens. The fact that Scholz is ahead of Laschet makes no difference because both of these constellations would have a solid majority. So the question is, what do FDP and Greens want? Now, they don't know themselves. They both said yesterday, and I think that was the most significant announcement we heard last night, that they would first talk to each other. What this is telling me is that we have to look forward to an auction. They will basically, they are at opposite ends of the of the political, you know, in, in some areas of the important political areas. So they want to find out a common position and put that common position to both of the larger parties. In doing this, they are increasing their leverage. Scholz doesn't no longer has the leverage of a red, red, green coalition. This would have been this is why it was important to for him to have the option of a red, red, green coalition. We wrote on Friday that the first thing to watch out for in these election results is not who is ahead, but whether this red-red-green coalition, which would have been under Scholz, has an arithmetic majority. That doesn't mean, it wouldn't have meant that it would have happened, but it would have given Scholz the ability to fend off any blackmail attempts from the FDP and the Greens. If the FDP had said, look, we only want, you know, we don't want you to have a minimum wage, he would have said, thank you very much. And then he would have reverted to red, red, green. He cannot do that now because if he rejected the overtures or the demands of the FDP, the FDP goes to the, with the Greens together, go, go to Laschet. So the question now becomes, can the CDU offer them a better deal than the SPD? 
that's not clear. If I look at the fiscal constraint, and that's just one of many, many subjects, but if you look at the fiscal constraint for the parties, pledges and programs and red lines, uh, the SPD wants quite a lot. The SPD wants to increase, or not increase, but assure the, the current level of pensions, the current pension age. They want a 25% increase in the minimum wage, and they want to tax people, the tax the rich. Now, the FTP is against taxation, so that's the first thing they have to overcome. Uh, no such difference on taxes would be the case with a Jamaica coalition. That wouldn't be a tax-raising coalition. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the Greens are demanding a lot in terms of investment into green uh, infrastructure and digital infrastructure. But these type of investments can be taken out of the budget and put into a special purpose vehicle. And that would be the case under either government. So that's not going to make a difference as long as the green the Greens want, you know, they want the finance ministry, maybe they want an investment program and they will get it from both sides. The question is, will the CDU give them more money than the SPD? Possibly because the, you know, the Greens don't have to share any money with the SPD. The SPD has its own spending uh, priorities, which uh, the CDU doesn't. So the CDU might have more scope. Um, that is a that is one thought I had that might persuade the Greens to form a coalition with the CDU. Um, the Greens would probably, as a party, be closer to the SPD. Um, but it's not clear that the SPD would necessarily give the Greens the kind of deal they need. So it's a toss-up. And it's also a question of the you know, political preferences of the Green leader uh, leaders, Anna-Lena Baerbock and Robert Habeck. Habeck's role will increase again. She, is now, she was the can- chancellor candidate. Uh, she kind of lost that particular battle. Uh, the result is respectable. We should not scoff at 15% or 14 point. X percent. This is a reasonable result. Um, they will. They they were only at nine percent last time. But she didn't get this sort of big jump that she had hoped for. So his role is now. You know, at least they're back to the position of co-leaders, and we know that he is very close to the FDP. And he may c- conclude it would not be entirely uh, irrational that a weak Armin Laschet might be an easier chancellor for the Greens than a a very confident Olaf Scholz. We have to be, you know, we have we have to be under no illusion that sometimes sometimes the weakness of a of a party or the perceived weakness of a party can work to a coalition partner's advantage. So there are tactical reasons to suggest that that Jamaica might be easier to negotiate. That said, there are the stuff in truths. People can, you know, Marcus Söder might in the end, you know, make a demand that the Greens will have to refuse. It's always possible, as we saw four years ago, it's always possible to torpedo a coalition negotiation if you want to. And the CDU, CSU is two parties. The CSU is uh, saying now that, you know, if you had chosen our man, Marcus Söder, this disaster would not have happened. We would have had the solid majority. I think that's true. Maybe not the whole 10% that they lost, but they would have done a lot better. Olaf Scholz is um, not a fantastic candidate, but he was relatively better than both Laschet and Baerbock. So that if he had Markus Söder as his opponent, the sort of Scholz effect might just not have happened. He would have remained who he was during most of the election campaign, sort of the, the number three, the third candidate, you know, a slightly gray character uh, rather than this guy who sort of launched this sort of last minute 
upsurge. It was quite impressive coming from nowhere to, you know, gaining 10% in the final weeks of a campaign. That is indeed very impressive. And the result is good. But the result should not be translated into an automatic ex- you know, expectation that they that he will be the chancellor. He didn't win the election. He got 26%. Uh, and 26% is better than 24%, but it is still, nobody has a mandate here. So they need to form a coalition. That's the mandate if they can. So it's the skill of no- negotiations, coalition negotiations that is now required. And Armin Laschet, you know, he was a lousy candidate, I have to say, a very, very poor candidate. But, you know, he is a good behind-the-scenes operator, a man, you know, if you don't have strong political views yourself, other than some fundamental principles, but no political agenda, it might be easier for Lascher to form a coalition than, than it might be for Schultz. That would be my expectation, but, you know, it's not a sure thing. It could go in different directions. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, looking beyond the coalition formation process, um, I also wanted to talk a bit about the future political direction that two parties in particular might take as a result of this. And those parties are the Greens and the CDU, right? So with the Greens, I think the real significance was, as you say, not being able to get an arithmetic majority for red, red, green, partly as well because that puts the Greens and the FDP in a situation where they're a united front in pretty much all circumstances. A coalition that's viable is likely not going to include one without the other. So that naturally, of course, brings them together. And as you say, that was one of the big takeouts of the night was that they will work with each other first to try and find a common position before going to both of the other parties. Do you think that that is going to have an impact on the political or ideological direction of travel that the Greens take from here. Because, of course, for decades, the Greens have had this tension within the party between a more left-leaning, I guess, idealist wing and the kind of real wing, which might be closer towards the FDP. So do you think this will weigh on them in the medium to long term? I think that's right. I think your analysis is right. FDP and Greens are either both in or both out. Uh, the both out scenarios where they where the SPD and CDU say enough of the blackmail, let's do a grand, another grand coalition. We're going to sideline the two of you. Uh, you overplayed your hands. Now we're going to have a, another grand coalition. I don't think it's going to happen. There's not a lot of appetite. There's going to be differences in the CDU CSU uh, on that on that point. Some might want it, but I, even I, I would assume the CSU will will ultimately not want it. And the, without the CSU, it, there wouldn't be a majority. So this this is an option that I would uh, not you know I would consider this a distant third option. But but it is the you know the only other coalition uh, possible than Jamaica or traffic light. Now to ask a question about. The, the, the direction of the Greens. The Greens have voted in 2017 for the new leadership of Habeck and Baerbock. What was surprising about the vote is that for the first time, they voted for two so-called realos, as you, as you rightly called them. That's an expression that's still used. It's not so much used today, but it's the first time that two people who would normally be categorized as realos have actually taken the leadership. Normally, they voted for one from the fundamentalists and one from the realo wing. They didn't in 2017. There's a cha- there's a shift in the green position, away from the old ideological um, ideological debate towards a much more pragmatic debate. 
the other thing you one has to also consider is that they miscalculated um the people have you know there was enormous pressure in the beginning of the year for Baerbock to become the candidate Habeck understood and sensed this pressure and gave gave way gave in you know he basically didn't fight this he uh, let her proceed she was a terrible candidate one has to absolutely say that i mean she did not was not prepared she did not you know even prepare her own cv she only recently before the being nominated had kind of cleared up some of financial minor financial irregularities nothing nothing she did was terrible but it was it was something that a in a professional campaign you would have cleared a long time before and you would have had advisors who would have basically vetted you and vetted everything you did like your plagiarism scandals etc that that should not have that should not have occurred it the greens at the time were so confident that they could win the election with her uh, that the reality of basically ending up with 14.x percent as opposed to 25 or 28 which is what they had hoped for that reality you know might make them more strategic in the sense that they you know they can't just be be as emotional about the next four years as they were about their candidate uh, I mean, they sacrificed a lot for, you know, for having her. I mean, same with the CDU, CSU. If they had chosen uh, Robert Harbeck, uh, they would have probably ended up with a higher, higher percentage vote and the Greens' agenda would have carried proportionally more weight. That's something they need to, they need to consider now. And Harbeck will be the first to remind them that the issue is not whether they like Scholz more than Laschet, but that the issue is whether... The green manifesto, the investments, the green agenda has a, a better chance to succeed under this or that government. And that assessment should be made in a rational manner rather than without the, you know, your gut tendency of that. I like that man better than, you know, that man. That cannot be uh, the, the basis for a reasoned decision. And that it is time for some rationality to enter. So that's what I would expect. The, the realo mindset of the Greens will probably prevail because the kind of the because the other mindset did not succeed in this election. Okay, great. Thank you. And then turning to the CDU, another set of results that I thought was interesting, which hasn't been talked about as much because it's not really pertinent to the coalition formation process, was how the AFD did, and especially the regional distribution of their results. The AFD, in terms of their percentage and seat total, uh, as I saw it, more or less kind of tread of water in this election. But at the same time, at least from what I saw, their results regionally concentrated. So they were particularly strong in Saxony and Thuringia, and they have really become the top party in both of those regions. Now, this, I would assume, would present some dilemmas for the CDU going forward, because a lot of those gains were at the expense of the CDU. Um, between whether they move to become a more ideologically conservative party, or whether they stay in this kind of, as you say, less ideological state. Now, this is a dilemma that the CDU have faced before. It was a kind of pre-pandemic one where you have the RFDA on one side and then the Greens and the FDP on the other side. So how do you see that playing out? A lot of CDU candidates lost their seats. 
um, direct mandates. These were you know, including in Bavaria, especially as you mentioned in East Germany and in uh, Saxony, where the AfD is the now the biggest party. They already were the biggest party in Thuringia, but Saxony, because it's a big big state, that's a shocker, um, and it will affect the CDU. You know, it will it will push the CDU to the right in those places. That that's 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 untrue. So people should not be too sanguine about the AFD's you know ten point five percent, because the AFD has lost a lot of votes in the West. Uh, they are, they no longer have that uh, the, the ground the grounding. They never really got a, a a solid a solid foundation in those places. But they are a very solid uh, large party people's party in 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 the east of Germany, as indeed is the left party. So these two parties are the parties on the extreme, are the you know two of the big East German parties. The CDU will find it, uh, you know, there will be definitely a push for the CDU to make up lost ground on the right. That is that is for sure. Uh, the CDU had hoped and through Laschet by using a man who hoped to step in the foot, uh, footsteps of Merkel to regain the center, but that strategy didn't work and we, as we said it wouldn't work because Olaf Scholz can stake just the same claim to the middle ground as as uh, Laschet was and he could do so even with more conviction because he was part of that administration of Merkel while Laschet was just you know, running his own government in, in Northern Rhine-Westphalia. So the continuity card was was a double-edged one, and that, that didn't work. It was a risk they they could have they should not they should have avoided. The cost of it was basically a loss of the the voters to the right. Now, generally, a strategy in the, in the modern sort of multi-party politics is to really secure your base. Uh, that has to be the the number one priority, and then strategically try to capture or try to. Eat into another party's base. So the you you cannot the CDU cannot perform well by only being in the center. It would always be at risk of of, of losing the right. So the strategy for this the winning strategy for the CDU, which I'm sure Söder would 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 in, immediately uh, you know follow, would be make sure that 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 you appeal to the conservative main the conservative mainstream, not the not the super extremists, but certainly the the, the conservatives and nationalist mainstream. And then t- specifically target the center with with very specific policies, so that you would at least capture a certain number of them, and that you, that you know who would then see you as not being too radical and as being perfectly reasonable. That is a doable strategy, but Laschet captured neither the center nor the right, and that was why they are where they are. They, the CDU was down, I think, to its core. Core loyalists, which is at twenty four percent, and we know now where the core loyalists of the Greens are. The core loyalists of the Greens. We thought it was about eighteen, nineteen percent, but no, it's not. The core loyalists of the Greens is what they got. They didn't get anything else. Um, so for the CDU and the Greens, that was basically they're both now down to their minimum. One reason I speculated about German another election is because if no coalition can be formed and the Greens FDP can torpedo this. The Greens might torpedo a, a Jamaica coalition and the, the FDP might torpedo a, a traffic light coalition and Marco Söder might torpedo a grand coalition. Without any coalition options, there might have to be other elections, a second election. And a second election would be run, but the Greens would have Habeck as the candidate and the CDU, CSU would have Söder as the candidate. Now, that would not be an election where Olaf Scholz might simply be able to win 
the the same uh, percentage of the votes, especially not since he will not be he will not be fighting that election as chancellor, since by that time Angela Merkel would still be the acting chancellor. Scholz would not have been elected chancellor without this scenario. So not, this is sort of the ultimate fallback solution. It's not the grand coalition. The ultimate fallback is the is the next election. Now, in reality, when politics, you know, I would not expect that to happen. I'm just, I'm merely you know going through a sort of a cascade of options here. But um, but it, it is interesting now that the, you know we've seen in the whole of Europe now a shift in a shift away for a long period of time from the grand, big grand people's parties. Then on the center right, the, the the classic Christian democratic parties on the center right, and the social democratic parties on the center left, who would normally gain some forty percent, sometimes fifty percent of the votes. Most of those parties are in the in their twenties now. Jack, you've written about. The Netherlands, uh, where this process is probably further ahead than anyone else, I've, I've, you know, people in the Netherlands must be saying, "What a luxury in Germany! They only have three coalition options. We have, yeah, we have probably dozens uh, because we have so many small parties." Now, where, what's the state of play in the Netherlands? Because that's another country that, where you know an election was held, and they're still talking, and no progress so far. Yeah, so in the Netherlands at the moment, we're at uh, plus six months on from uh, March elections, if my uh, mental mass is right, and um, still no coalition yet. We're racing up to the 225-day mark that the last uh, coalition negotiation set, and um, I would uh, pretty much expect us to get to that point. Although today, actually this morning, there was a potentially significant development in the Dutch coalition negotiation process. So as I wrote about last week, essentially the talks have taken place largely between three main parties that were all part of the previous government coalition. One of them, which most of our listeners will definitely be familiar with, is the VVD, a kind of liberal conservative party, and that's the party of Mark Rutte, the outgoing Dutch prime minister. One of them is... Another kind of center-right party, the Christian Democratic Appeal, the CDA, which is led by another character our listeners might be familiar with, Wetke Hoekstra, who is the outgoing finance minister. And then the third is D66, which is a more kind of social liberal party, and it's led by the now former foreign minister, Sigrid Kog. Now, last week, there was a potential spanner in the works in this process when Cog resigned as foreign minister, um, effectively over a motion of censure that had been passed. And there was a bit of uncertainty about how that was going to play into the coalition formation process. But as I wrote, that's not really related to the more fundamental issue, which is that D66 was not happy with some of the potential coalition options that the other parties were presenting. Um, fundamentally, um, as the kind of leftmost of those three different political parties, Cog wanted more parties from the left in the coalition and was also unhappy with the potential inclusion of another outgoing coalition partner, another smaller centre-right party called the Christian Union. Um, now, the significant development today was that Cog publicly said that she would be comfortable with the idea of the Christian Union being included in the negotiation process. This previously had been a real sticking point between D66 and the other parties. 
And now it looks like there is some movement on this. Um, my own interpretation of why COG and D66 have moved on this is because the long, drawn-out coalition uh, formation process is becoming increasingly unpopular in the Netherlands. Uh, last week, there was a poll that said that uh, close to two-thirds of Dutch voters were unhappy with how long it was taking to form a government and wanted one to be formed sooner. And um, another Dutch research company um, talked to some previous D66 voters who were very unhappy with what they felt was that party's central role in making the process take longer than it should have. Rather, but it's it's a funny funny thing with the polls. I mean, obviously, it's the it's the electorate that put the parties in that position. Uh, it's hard to criticize the parties for being you know, elected in that in that particular way. It just takes it will take a long while as everyone you know s- secures their advantage. That's happening. That will happen in Germany too. That will exactly be people will not like it, but these coalition talks will drag out. There may be a formal one for one coalition, then another formal one for another coalition, then maybe a formal one for the third. It might revert then to the first option. This could take a long time. Uh, I would expect it to go beyond Christmas, which would make Angela Merkel then the longest serving German chancellor ever, if you care about these anniversary uh, type uh, records. Uh, but that is a quite a quite a plausible scenario. What is the fallback position in the Netherlands if they say they don't come get to an agreement after a year, eighteen months? Suddenly, you 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 know suddenly the next election campaign is already <laughs> on people's minds. Can this go on for the entire legislative period, or does this have to end at some point? And if there isn't a deal, can the king say, or can somebody? impose an early election on the system. So theoretically speaking, they could continue in this minority caretaker situation for quite a while, at least until the next scheduled election. Um, Now, there might be an option if the parties agree that nothing can be done to call a snap election. But as far as I'm aware, that's never happened before. So you know, if anybody, if anybody knows of it happening, feel free to correct me. But it's that would not be what I would expect to happen for them to go through to a new snap election. They would just muddle through as part of this kind of minority government process. In terms of looking at the implications of this for the rest of Europe, I think there are two kind of really instructive lessons from the Dutch experience, right? Um, One of them is the real risk of being perceived as a kind of sticky wheel in this process. You know, if you're thought to be standing in the way of effective governance, it can really end up backfiring on you. Um, This isn't unique to the Dutch experience. We've seen this in Spain, most notably, where um, a decision to call another election after coalition processes stalled really backfired on the person who did that. Um, And the second instructive lesson is that the danger you get into when you have these long drawn out processes is a lot of inertia. It's a lot of the the easiest option when you're trying to form all of these kind of bric-a-brac coalitions is just to continue with the positions that you held before and to forestall any kind of major change or transformation. Um, We're really coming to a point in Europe in the 2020s where we do need to think about transforming some very major parts of our economy and society, you know, whether it's climate change or digitalization. And the problem with these long drawn out government talks and fragmentation is that oftentimes you end up kicking the can down the road because that's the easiest option since none of these parties can agree. 
Right. I was once thinking about how this process would pan out in Germany. I think you're probably right. Eventually, there's a backlash. And this is also why my sort of my fallback scenario is unlikely, because obviously Merkel is, remains in government. So one could assume that the CDU might have an interest in dragging things out. But the electorate would not honor that. And it would be a disaster for several for the next state elections going forward, especially for the CSU in Bavaria. So they, they want some kind of conclusion to this thing. If, if it has to be a coalition, uh, if it is not, then it has to be concluded that this coalition is not viable. So one cannot keep it, keep talking and talking. So it's, it's probably a good idea to set a time limit to coalition talks. Uh, at the moment, we have sort of exploratory talks where everybody talks with everybody. But once formal coalition talks start, and uh, FDP and Greens would probably have to decide with whom they want to start talking, which may not even prejudice the outcome. They might talk. They might have two consecutive coalition talks, and then ultimately make a decision between which option they will choose. Um, but uh, if things drag on beyond that point, I would expect the electorate to turn against whomever they blamed for the delay, uh, and therefore the parties would be under pressure to come to an agreement, especially if they get blamed and the process were to result in new elections. Because we can't be guaranteed that if, if say, you know, even if Söder were blamed for for foot dragging, it's not clear that the public would vote for him in this case. The, the, we've seen in this this election, the, the, the polls have been extremely volatile. There's no guarantee that a particular candidate, just because they're popular today, will be popular in 12 months' time. Uh, there may well be a shift in views. What I thought was it was interesting about the Dutch elections. I mean, Rutte has been fairly steady, you know, and uh, Rutte's parties has been fairly steady in its support. Sometimes they go down; they usually go down midterm, but they usually end up better than than the polls initially suggested. They have not gone through these sort of gyrations that the Germans went through. The Dutch have been, by comparison, relatively stable. Uh, there are not fundamentally different governments that are that we are talking. There may be one or two sh- different coalition partners, but we are not talking about you know a party, you know, a coalition leader of the left being likely to take over or on the on the on the right to take over. It's always something. It's always a centrist sort of centrist coalition government. Is there any sort of sign that this might change? I personally don't see any sign, any time on the horizon that this will change. Um, certainly, should there be a new Dutch majority government, that new Dutch majority government would almost definitely include the VVD. Um, it would include D66 and at least one other center-right party. It might it might include a center-left party. It will still be a broad um, coalition of the center. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that anybody really has the numbers to make up a definitive coalition on one side or the other. And I think it's also worth saying, even when you do have a coalition on one side or the other, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to get anywhere or that people are going to agree on the direction that you should take. So, uh, you know, in Sweden, we've seen a very instructive example of how a coalition on one particular side of the political spectrum can still be very difficult to manage. You know, there, um, Stefan Löfven has been leading a coalition of the centre-left and left, and that government also collapsed this year, again, over housing. It just becomes, when you have to assemble these broad churches of different parties, 
very difficult to take any definitive or clear change in direction on policy. Well, Jack, thank you very much. This concludes our podcast for this week. We will be back on Friday uh, with our regularly scheduled podcast. So until then, bye-bye.